This is the third message in our series on a life worth giving, and it, it's called Free to Give. And in one sense, I'm nervous, but I'm not nervous because when I was at our Salt and Light Pastors Retreat uh, and came back just yesterday, in our worship on the Friday morning, as we were in the midst of that, the Lord took the message that I thought I was going to preach and that I was preparing already um, and totally changed it on me. Uh, so this morning, you won't have a PowerPoint up there, but I trust that you'll be able to follow along. I felt strongly that this is the direction the Lord wanted me to, to change things to. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to Mark chapter 12. And just keep your finger in the page there, or uh, your device ready to find the verse as we get to it. It's interesting that when we talk about stewardship, one of the first things that our mind always defaults to is money, isn't it? But as we've been learning in this series, the first couple of weeks, that it's so much more than that. It's about recognizing that everything that we have belongs to God. In fact, everything belongs to God. He's given us resources and gifts to look after and to take care of uh, for him while we're here on the earth, to bless people, to build this kingdom. Uh, The resources that each of us has, they might be finances, it might be how we invest those things for kingdom purposes, but... It's more often that you and I will likely be evaluating, where am I going to invest my time, the energy that I've been given? Or how do I grow and exercise these spiritual gifts that I have? Uh, Like maybe using my gift of encouragement to, to, uh, to brighten someone's day, to speak a word of encouragement into a dark place, to bring life and shine the light of Christ. Uh, I, you know, I'd encourage you as well, if you haven't taken that online gifts assessment yet, please do. Uh, just uh, sign up for it. Uh, pay your five bucks. If five bucks is too much, please let us know. We don't want people not taking it because five bucks is in the way. Uh, so let us know about that. Uh, but the Bible says that each one of us has been given gifts. Nobody's exempt. And our part Our job as a steward is to ensure that we're doing our part to grow and to learn and to exercise what we've been given so that we can do it effectively and we can experience the joy of seeing our God-given gifts at work while we're trying to find our sweet spot in serving with those things. Uh, Sometimes we can feel like a round peg in a square hole, you know, where it's like we just don't quite fit. But as we begin to understand how God's gifted us, we can go, oh, that's why I don't really enjoy kind of being in that kind of a place. Or I don't function as well in this place as I do over here. Every day, you and I will make choices about how we steward and looked after what the Lord's entrusted to you and I. Uh, Are we going to dig a hole and put those talents in that hole that we've, uh, or are we going to actually invest them purposefully? And wisely, so that when Jesus, who's our master, asks us to give an account for how we've used those resources, will we be able to freely and confidently stand before him knowing that, yeah, we've done to the best of our ability to steward the resources of the king. We talked about King Jesus this morning in our worship. And this morning, if there's one thread that I can have you thinking about, You can make whatever notes you want to take. There's not going to be three, you know, classic points in this message. But if you want to take one common thread, one common theme, one question, I want you to ponder this morning. It's this. 
How free am I to give? How free are you to give? And today the scripture passage we're going to be looking at in Mark 12, we're going to start, we're going to get to verse 41. It's often called the story of the widow's offering or the widow's might. In case you've wondered, what on earth is a mite? Uh, Well, it's not describing the little critters that make your dog itch. That's not what it's describing. The word might was actually introduced when the King James translation of the Bible uh, was, was being translated to bring a current idea to a medieval audience that it was being translated for. A mite was actually this very, the smallest denomination of coin that you could get at that time. You could buy stuff with it. It was legal tender, but it was, in one sense, almost worthless. Uh, similar today, we've got, how many, how many of you have a penny in your pocket? Anybody? Maybe? Maybe? If, if you are, they're, they're getting rarer and rarer. Um, it's, it's still worth one cent if you go to the store. Um, they still need to receive it as cash. But in Canada, we've actually done away with the penny. You know, no more pennies are being made at the corner of Lajemodier and Fermor at the Manitoba Mint. They're not being stamped anymore. They're no longer being put back into circulation. Eventually, the penny is going to fade into memory. Uh, or it's only going to be used at your cottage when you're playing Romoli. Those of you who <laughs> play Romoli, they've got these big jars of pennies that are used to play Romoli. So with that in mind, let's read this, read this short encounter of what Jesus had to say. Starting in verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people in the temple putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all of those who were contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty and has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Heavenly Father, would you help open up this scripture to us? Would you help me today to convey your heart to us? Let me paint this scene for you. Jesus has been teaching his disciples and the crowds that had gathered in the temple that day. And he had already kind of verbally jousted with the Sadducees and the Pharisees a few times, and he'd left them angry and offended. uh, And they were stumped by his wise replies. And even the crowds had been delighted uh, by Jesus kind of putting these hypocritical religious leaders uh, in their place. At some point, the scriptures tell us that he went and he sat down near the treasury, the place where people would come into the temple and they would put their tithes and their offerings in. And he observed how and what people were giving. Now, historical accounts tell us that these offering boxes, these treasury boxes, had metal horn-like tubes that actually connected to the box at the bottom. And people would come along and they would pour or put their coins or whatever their offering was into that tube and it would fall into the box. So you would have been able to hear the coins as they dropped into the box. They clanged and as they bounced all the way down into the box. 
the treasury was actually in full view of everyone, people milling around. So you can imagine that when somebody dropped money in the tube, it attracted attention. People would look up from what they were doing uh, to see, oh, you know, who just, who just put something in the offering box? Uh, or who was it, you know, that put in all of a sudden this huge sum of money into the offering box? In fact, rich people would actually dress in their grandest robes. They put on all their fancy jewelry. And when they came to give at the temple, they did that so that everyone could see how wealthy they were and, and how much they were giving. They would, they'd put on a show. And it was kind of like a popularity contest to, to see you know, who could one-up each other or get higher status in the community because, well, look at how much we give. I remember, uh, I remember a man in a church I attended as a young boy. We sat in the same pew in the same row, and when the offering plate came by during the service, I noticed that he had purposefully rolled up a bunch of bills into a roll and a bunch of 50s and put an elastic around them. And when the offering plate came by, he made sure that he dropped it from a high enough height that it would go clink, and it would stand up in the middle of the plate as this big, thick wad. Uh, it's the same idea as in the temple. <laughs> Look at me. Right? Look at how much I am giving. Now, I didn't mention it before, but there was usually a priest, actually, nearby the treasury that would help to direct people to the right tube, the right offering box uh, to give their gift. So the priests would also see how the people were giving. And this is what's interesting. Jesus, the one who is and would be the great high priest, was sitting there that day and watching all of this. Someone caught his attention. Verse 42 gives us an important detail. It says, not just a widow, it says a poor widow came to bring her offering into the temple. I mean, there was no social safety net in ancient times. There was no food bank. There was no soup kitchen. There was no you know, social security check. There was no Salvation Army or a Salome mission to be able to, to sleep at on a cold night. Um, if you were a widow, you usually had no social standing because you didn't have a husband to support you anymore. And usually, you had no other means of making money other than begging on the street. In fact, it was supposed to be the, the churches or the temples or the synagogues' responsibility to distribute to the, the widows and the orphans. And this woman would have needed to pass by the crowds you know, who were gawking at the pageant of the rich folks that, were putting, uh, that they were putting on to... She would have had to confer with the priests, maybe, uh, about where I need to put my offering. The, the very same verse says that she had two small coins that made up a penny. She wasn't obligated to put both coins in the treasury box, but it says she did. Little did she know that Jesus, the great high priest, God himself, he was sitting there and watching her act of faith. 
Jesus took notice and thought what he had witnessed was so important that he called disciples, come on over here, I want to chat with you. You know, for, for us reading this story 2,000 years later, I think we need to pay attention. If this is something that Jesus, sitting in the temple, God himself thought was important. God himself thought that what happened there was so important that he called his disciples to share revelation with them. And in essence, what he says to his disciples, he says, all these rich people, all these rich people have given money from their excess funds. It cost them nothing. You know, it's like a billionaire giving $10,000 at a fundraising dinner. Right? They're not going to even notice the blip on their bank account. You know, it's, it's giving off the, their excess. It's, it's not even a sacrifice at all. However, Jesus says that this widow, this woman, even in her poverty, has given all she has. If you were to put the, the two in of these different gifts on the balancing scale, the only way the rich folks' gift would have measured up with the widow's gift is if they had put their entire fortune into the offering box, liquidated everything, and poured it all in. You know, can I just say something as an aside? If you think uh, somehow Jesus didn't like rich people, or that somehow being rich is a bad thing, I think you'll have missed the point in this story. There's many people that God has gifted to be able to actually generate wealth and abundance. I think Jesus knew, in one sense, like the rich young ruler that he spoke to and encountered, that the more you have, the harder it is to let go and meaningfully give sacrificially to the things that God has laid across your path. I think that's something that we would find to be true today. I know wonderful people uh, who have generous hearts as big as their bank accounts. And they're always looking and they're ready for opportunities to bless and respond to God's promptings to give. Because they understand. They understand what we actually usually teach in this passage of Scripture. Usually the two truths that we teach from this passage have to do with recognizing Jesus' response. One, Jesus isn't looking at the amount that we give but the proportion of what's given and what's kept for ourselves. What's that ratio? What's in our heart? What does it cost us to give? That's the second thing. Jesus looks at how much the gift actually cost the giver. The widow sacrificed everything. Even though she only gave a penny, it was seen as the greater gift. That's what we usually teach in this passage. But I want to suggest to you that the truth of this story actually goes far deeper than those two truths about how God looks at our heart posture when we give things that he's asked us to steward on his behalf. In this story, we're talking about something concrete like money. But it also relates, like I said before, it relates to how we steward our spiritual gifts, our family, our time, uh, our, our resources, our work, anything else that's in our lives, this applies to. This is why I said the one question I have for you today is how free are you to give? How free are you to give? This is a story about a poor woman's faith and dependence on the Lord. And her freedom to give all that she had, fully trusting 
that the Lord would provide for her needs. I have a couple questions for you. You can interact with them. I think you know the answer. Who holds the universe in the palm of his hand? Yeah, the Lord does, yeah. Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Come on. There we go, yeah. Who has promised that he would never leave us or forsake us? Yeah, the Lord Jesus did. Who covenanted with the people of Israel and promised to take care of them? Yeah, the Lord did. Ron reminded us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he reminded us that, that there's someone who owns everything. In fact, he owns all the French fries, Ron was talking about. If you didn't, haven't heard the message, go back online and listen to the message. Right? Who owns everything? Yeah, the Lord does. And while we have never been promised that everyone will be rich and live in a 4,000 square foot house and drive a Mercedes, who has promised to make sure that we would have everything that we need, even if we might be suffering right now? Who? Yeah, the Lord does. The Lord's promised those things to us. I believe the widow had received revelation about something that made her totally free to give everything that she had. Even knowing that her small coins might even go to pay the wages of the very religious leaders that Jesus had been reaming out for treating widows poorly. She still gave. The Bible doesn't tell us how she acquired her two coins. It just says she had them. But chances are good someone was passing by her while she was begging on the street. They took pity on her. They just went into their pocket, whatever was there, and they just put it into her hands. It didn't cost them much. It was basically two almost worthless pieces of metal. Maybe she had been praying that day. Lord, I've got nothing to eat. I have no money to buy food. Would you please help me? Maybe that was the extent of her prayer. And, and when those two coins were placed into her hands or in her cup or whatever she might have had, she recognized, Lord, you have answered my prayer. How often do we recognize, Lord, you've answered my prayer? How many of us just go, oh, that's nice, and we keep moving on? It wasn't fate, it wasn't coincidence, it was the Lord whose eyes are on even the sparrow, even the birds, and knows when they fall to the ground. The Lord had answered. He met her needs so she could at least buy bread to fill her stomach. Here's the amazing thing. She didn't go and buy bread. She went to the temple to worship to thank and to give back to the Lord what he had given to her. Some people think, well, how foolish. <laughs> the Lord gave that to her so that she wouldn't starve or maybe even die. But here is the amazing earth-shattering truth, one of them I want you to see here today. This poor widow was totally free to give away everything she had because she recognized that everything she had had been supplied to her by the Lord. 
She could freely give away those two coins that she had in an act of worship because she knew that the same God who had answered her prayer could answer her again. Out of his abundance, out of his love and care, he could answer her again the same way he had answered her prayer earlier that day. And to some that might sound like presumption. In some cases, you know, depending on a person's heart posture, you know, you might be right. It might be presumption. How can we presume to test or bait God like that? But if that's what you're thinking, you've got something turned around. You see, the woman had no guarantee that the Lord would send her another two coins to buy bread. But she understood that it was the Lord's responsibility to look after her. And if he deemed it, that she should live another day, he would supply her need again. Are you hearing me? That's the challenge I have for you today. How free are you to give? Do you believe that the same God who made sure that you are alive and sitting here today will sustain you tomorrow? If Jesus asked you to sacrificially give yourself your time, your talents, your treasure, all the things that he has supplied to you, could you freely give in faith, believing that the Lord would provide everything you need in that absence? I think that's the kind of revelation we need around stewardship. When the master has left us in charge of stewarding his house and his resources while he's away, but then he comes and he asks, would you please move some of my resources and gifts from this column in your bank account to this column in your bank account? Are you free to do it? Or has that somehow become your money in the bank account? Or maybe... The master desires for to do a particular thing over there, a particular move. And he asks, would you please leverage the resources that you've been given and make sure that that happens? That's my will. Would you make sure that that happens? Are you free to trust and to carry out the master's wishes? Believing that after you have given out, after you have dispersed his wishes that he will actually entrust you with more? Do you trust that as a steward, you're a conduit, not an owner? And the owner has promised to look after you. Do you believe that? Easier said than done sometimes. When you can rest in the truth that my God shall supply all my needs... In Christ Jesus, you can be truly free to give. Is it a scary way to live? (laughs) Yeah, sure, sometimes it can be. That's reality. But that's what happens when we live dependent on someone else instead of trusting ourselves. We're not in control anymore. It does get a little scary, a little anxious. It stretches us. The more that you can take the owner sign off of your stuff, off the resources, the time, the talent, the treasures that you have, 
the freer you will actually be to steward the things that God's graciously given to you. You will actually experience what the Bible calls the true joy of giving. You're free. Now to be sure, this passage of scripture in Mark is about a woman's faith and dependence on the Lord and her freedom to give, fully trusting that the Lord would provide for her needs. But did you know we can go deeper still in this passage? You know what this, who, what this story is really about? This story is actually about Jesus. Really? No, this story is really about Jesus. We often think about teach this, all this teaching us about the widow and our ability to freely give and to sacrifice. Um, it is those things, but more importantly, this story is about Jesus. Jesus is not just some passive onlooker at the temple that day. God incarnate. God made flesh. Jesus is purposefully sitting in his temple. You remind yourself of that. This is his temple he's sitting in. And he's looking for something. And when he saw it, when he saw the widow's act of faith, knowing what was in her heart, he remarks, he takes notice. His heart is moved. The God of heaven, his heart is moved. So he calls over his disciples and says, look, 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 look. See what just happened? What I just witnessed there? Jesus is moved when he sees a child of God step out in faith and exercise faith and trust in their heavenly Father. He's moved. Our heavenly Father is moved and wants to reach out towards us as a good, good Father like we sing about, the one who gives good gifts to his kids. To be sure, the Lord has commanded that we would use our gifts and talents. He has commanded that we would invest in the kingdom with every kind of resource at our disposal. That's including our finances. But his heart isn't moved simply by doing what's right or what's our obligation. The Lord loves to see our hearts free to give all that's required to give, believing that the God who supplied and supplies all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus will supply again and again and again and again and again and again. It's about the future, not yet seen. And investing freely in what's needed or required in the moment, in the now. Knowing that and trusting that as we freely offer those time, that talent, that treasure, whatever is required in the service of the Lord and the advancement of his kingdom that the Lord has promised to continue caring for us, looking after us as we wait for that future to unfold. Being anxious for nothing, as the Bible commands us. This is how someone can be free to give. 
As a steward of Jesus, of the resources of heaven, well, what gets in the way of our freedom to give and invest the things that we've been given? Well, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but we're talking more than what's in your bank account, more than your finances. What gets in the way of our freedom? Well, fear, selfishness, pride, arrogance, to name just a few off the top of my head. What about a poverty spirit? You can have a poverty spirit whether you're rich or whether you're poor. It's that voice within us that actually runs counter to everything I've been talking about this morning. It says, will I have enough if I give it away? I need to hold on to what I have because I I might run out. I might not have enough. That's a spirit of poverty at work in our mind and in our heart. What about being, uh, a word we don't often use, but what about being miserly? Miserly is being close-fisted with what you have. Like Scrooge, you know, the Christmas story. It actually withholds resources based on greed or a judgment that we somehow are more deserving and the best steward or owner of our resources. So we hold on to it. I'm the best one to look after that. Remember Scrooge? Why should all these other people have this money? I'm the best one to look after this. I'm going to hold on to it. I don't want to oversimplify what can be a complex thing, but if you don't think that you're miserly, I was thinking about this myself, what what runs through your heart and your mind when you see someone looking for a handout at an intersection with their cardboard sign walking up and down the boulevard, right? The question is not, should I give? That's totally up to you. The question is, If God asked me to give right now, am I totally free to give? Not expecting anything in return or what's going to happen with that gift. Or would something in my heart get in the way? I thought about that myself and went, oh, yeah. Yeah, God, I know there's something in the way there. There's different things that run through my head when I'm stopped at that stoplight. You know, what's that person's story? Are they conning? Are they, you know, are they working together with a bunch of other guys to try and scrape a bunch of cash together to do whatever it is they're wanting to do? No, well, that might be. But it's not for me to judge. What if the Holy Spirit prompts me and says, Aaron, you know that Big Mac that you just bought? You went through the McDonald's drive-thru, and now you're going to your next appointment, and you're sitting at the intersection. Can you reach onto the seat and go... Here, am I free? Am I free? I'm not always, but I want to be. Norm gave us an opportunity here this morning, this kind of Holy Spirit Kijiji project, (laughs) if you want to call it that. Uh, It's this experiment over the next week, a couple of weeks. Ask Jesus... Here's a need I have, Lord. Would you be gracious to fill it? You know, is there anything in the way of you asking that question? Do you feel like that request is too big? Is it too trivial? Um, Do you feel like that's something that God doesn't even answer? (laughs) 
God knows what you need before you even do. He, he knew what the widow needed as well. For sure he knows what you need, but he wants us to ask. He wants us to ask. His answer might show up differently than you thought it would, but he wants you to ask. As a steward, the other question Norm talked about, asked us to consider is, Lord, what am I meant to give? I'm really interested to see what happens. You know, this could be miraculous testimonies or a colossal flop. I have no idea. But we, we felt like, you know what, Lord, we feel like we just need to trust you in this. God, Holy Spirit, your people hear you. We trust that you'll speak to them. And we'll trust that you do whatever Holy Spirit networking is required in order to match things up with whoever's in need and whoever is ever giving something. There's no pressure from us for you to participate in that. By all means, you're free to, free to do whatever you want with that. There's no pressure. Um, but are, are you afraid to ask the Lord for what he wants you to give? Because maybe if he asks you to give something, it's either way too big. <laughs> or maybe he wants you to give something that you really, really love and are attached to. Or would you only be willing to give something if it really didn't cost you anything? Just give out of your excess. Or are you free? Are you free to give whatever he asks, expecting nothing in return, but trusting that God will do abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine and think as you give that gift in response to him, believing that he will continue to meet your needs as you sacrifice the things in your life for him and his glory. So I want to invite the worship team to come up, but as they're doing that quietly, I want to give you just a few moments, a few moments to ask Jesus this particular question. Lord, how do you see me? How do you see me, Jesus? Am I free to give and to steward what you've given to me. Does that make sense? Out of what I've been talking about this morning? Jesus, how do you see my heart? Am I, am I free to give? Is there anything you want to speak to me about that? You know, if he affirms your heart posture, wonderful. If you feel challenged or you feel convicted by something that Jesus touches, well, simply confess, confess that whether it's sin or whatever attitude or action that's in your heart, just confess that and find your way to freedom. Uh, repent, meaning resolve that you're going to turn around and go the other way and in, then invite the Holy Spirit's help for you to walk differently, the power to be able to actually walk out life differently from the way that you've been living in this area. That's a simple process that the Lord's given us that we've had for thousands of years. A powerful tool of being able to say, yes, this is what I'm doing. I don't want to do that anymore because I see how you want me to live. Would you wash that out of me? Holy Spirit, would you come in and help me to live and grow your fruit in my life? So I want to give you a few minutes, uh, not even a few minutes. I'll just give you a minute or so to be able to process that with the Lord. And then I'll close in prayer.